We are in uh, Sermon 4 of a five-sermon series entitled, Why? This month of December, we've been asking the question, Why did Jesus come to earth? A couple weeks ago, Pastor Steve began the series by telling us that Jesus came to earth to destroy the works of the devil. And then last week, if you were here, you probably saw the uh, drama music program with the focus on the fact that Jesus came to glorify God. That was a great, great time, wasn't it? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was fun. Uh, And then Christmas Eve, Pastor Steve shared that Jesus came to take away sin. 1 John 3, 5. We know that he came to take away our sins. And so that brings us to today. You know, Isaiah wrote in, in his book, he said, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. It's a prophetic statement about who Jesus would be and who he is. He's God, and he came to visit us. God with us, Emmanuel. And we don't know exactly when Jesus was born, even though we celebrated his birth yesterday. I, don't, I hate to burst your bubble this morning, but chances are Jesus was not born on December 25th. There's lots of schools of thought about when he was actually born. One school of thought suggests that Jesus was probably born during the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's a feast that's held in Israel in the September, October-ish time frame. I don't know if you're familiar with Tabernacles, but Tabernacles was a celebration prescribed by God for Israel to remember the time that they were wandering in the wilderness. For 40 years, Israel lived in tents in the wilderness, in temporary dwellings. And so this Feast of Tabernacles uh, celebrates and commemorates that time of, of wandering in the wilderness. And John chapter 1 says that Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt or, more correctly, tabernacled among us. That Hebrew word uh, for the translated uh, dwelt is actually the word for tabernacle. Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, holds all things together. He's the sustainer of all things. He came, Emmanuel. He took on the body of flesh. He took upon his tent, if you will, a temporary dwelling on this earth. He was temporarily here. He tabernacled among us. God with us. So the question we're asking this month is, why did Jesus come to earth? Well, John chapter 6 gives us one answer to that question, and that's what we're going to be spending our time uh, reviewing this morning. So if you take your study guide out of your worship folder and follow along, I'm going to read some scripture out of John chapter 6. Beginning in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, why did Jesus come to earth? 
Well, he tells us right there in verse 38. He says, I have come to do my Father's will. I've come to do my Father's will. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to glorify God. He came to take away sins. But he came to do his Father's will also. Now, the question we'd have to ask is, what is the Father's will? And obviously, the primary will of the Father was Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and His glorious resurrection from the tomb. And that was to provide a means by which the infinite judgment of God could be poured out upon sin while the infinite mercy of God could be offered to men, to you and I. The judgment of God poured out upon sin while the mercy of God is offered to us. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He came to die. Jesus came to die. The angel told Joseph, your betrothed is pregnant with a child and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh is or Jehovah is salvation. You know, I love the line in the song that they, that they sang for the prelude, the 15 or 20 of us that were in here at the time. <laughs> saying, uh, Roger saying, Mary, did you know? And that line from that song that I love is, Mary, did you know that this child that you will deliver will soon deliver you? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I love that. Jesus came to die. And the Bible makes it clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the payment of death, there is no forgiveness. And Jesus is that payment. He was born to die. That's the Father's will. And Jesus came to do the Father's will. But I think from our scripture today, I want to just talk about two other aspects of the Father's will. Because in this passage we just read, Jesus said he came to be the true bread of life. And he came to receive and keep the secure and secure the gift given to him by the Father. He came to be the bread of life and he came to secure the gift that was given to him by the Father. So this is a very important uh, discourse that Jesus gives here in John chapter 6. And just to kind of help us get the framework, I, wanna, I want to kind of uh, give us a little background to set the stage of what's happening here in John chapter 6. You remember, John 6 begins with Jesus Christ roaming around and a large crowd following him. Jesus had been performing all of these miracles and the crowd was following him because of that. And on a particular day, it was late in the day and these people were getting hungry and there was no food. And so Jesus took five small loaves and he took two fish and he multiplied them in his hands and he gave them to, the scripture says, 5,000 men. Now, we know scholars say with the women and children that were probably part of that group, the number was somewhere more around 15,000. So you have Jesus Christ here feeding 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And the Scripture says that when everyone had been filled, or the Greek word actually means glutted, they were stuffed, they were stuffed full. You know, they didn't, no one just didn't get like a, one little bite of fish. And one little bite of bread, they were stuffed. You probably understand what that's like after yesterday, I'm sure. You probably, uh, you know, you, you eat so much, you just can't move. You just want to lay down and, you know, pass out for a couple hours. 
Well, that's where these 15,000 people were with the food that Jesus gave them. They were stuffed. They were filled. And not only did Jesus take that little boy's sack lunch and fill 15,000 people to the point that they could eat no longer, but there was 12 baskets of leftovers. You know, the next day they could put them in the microwave, put a little cheese on there, and have a little fish sandwich. Twelve baskets of leftovers. So after that miracle, Jesus sent the disciples away by boat across the Sea of Galilee. He sent the multitude away, and then he goes to pray. And somewhere in the dead of night, the, the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee fighting this fierce storm. They're unable to make it to the other side. Jesus comes walking on the water to them, freaks them out. They get in the boat, or he gets in the boat, and immediately they are at the other side of the sea in the city of Capernaum. The next day, the crowd follows Jesus to Capernaum. You know, the night before, they had a great fish dinner, but now it was breakfast time, and they wanted some more food. They wanted Jesus to feed them again. So they were following him for another meal. And Jesus says to them, listen, you're looking for me, you're looking to me for food that perishes, but you should be seeking me for eternal life. The work that my Father gives you to do is to believe in me. I've come to give you eternal life. And so their reply to Jesus was, Jesus, you show us a sign. I mean, give us a miracle to prove that you're God. Moses fed us manna in the wilderness for 40 years. Why don't you feed us like that? Why don't you take care of us like that and we'll believe you? You do some great miracle for us. You keep feeding us and we'll keep following. People wanted Jesus to be their genie in the lamp. They wanted him to be their slot machine, their winning lottery ticket. You know, Jesus, you perform some more miracles and make sure you take care of us and we'll keep following you. You know, unfortunately, a lot of of Christians believe that that's the way Jesus is today too. You hear that on, especially on the, you know, TV. You'll hear um, preachers say, you know, follow Jesus and your bills will be paid. Follow Jesus and your kids will be healthy. Follow Jesus and you'll get that life you've dreamed of. You'll get this life here that's just the perfect life. But Jesus said, you know, that's not why I'm here. And now these people, when they said, Jesus, show us a sign, give us some more miracles, they weren't questioning his power because they obviously had witnessed it the day before. But what they were absolutely and totally in the dark about was his purpose and his plan. So beginning in verse 32, Jesus breaks it down for them. And uh, so for the next several verses, this beloved discourse of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' point in this passage was not that his purpose was not political, but that his purpose was redemptive. He wasn't here as a physical blessing. He was here to to touch spirits, souls of men. It was a spiritual purpose. He didn't come to satisfy hungry bodies. He came to satisfy hungry souls. And so he came, he said, I've come to do the Father's will. A plan that was laid down in eternity past, a plan that first and foremost was about giving life to dead souls. And right in the middle of the crowd's question about manna, they bring up this conversation of manna. So Jesus takes what they say about manna, and he says, I've come to do the Father's will, and in fact, I am the true bread of life. Yes, Moses, you got got the manna in the wilderness with Moses, but I am the true bread from heaven. 
So the Father's will was that Jesus would be the bread of life. I love verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Well, obviously, he's not talking about physical things, is he? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you probably get hungry. You probably get thirsty. You're probably hungry right now, thinking about that food you had yesterday and the leftovers in in the fridge today. I know I am. (laughs) I'm just saying. Jesus says, I'm here to satisfy your soul. Your soul is going to stop thirsting. Your soul is going to stop hungering. When you meet Jesus Christ, there's satisfaction. Amen? Amen. When you meet Jesus, there's no more hunger in your soul. He is the food. He is the nourishment. He's the food that gives satisfaction. Just as the manna fell in the wilderness, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, came down from heaven. God's the Father, God the Father's will was for Jesus to be the bread of life, that life-giving food for dead sinners. And that bread of life is a metaphor. I mean, just as physical bread sustains life, believing upon Jesus Christ, the true bread of life, gives life to lifeless souls. Now, Exodus 16 is the passage that recounts God providing manna to Israel in the wilderness. And manna is that symbolic picture of Jesus as the bread of life. Practically, obviously, God fed Israel in the wilderness to keep them alive. There was a practical purpose for Him giving them bread in the wilderness. But there's also a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ in that manna. And I think this morning it's important for us to note some interesting correlations between the manna in the wilderness and Jesus Christ, the bread of life. The crowd brings up this idea of manna, and Jesus says, listen, I'm the true bread. He said, you're right. There was manna in the wilderness, but it was really just a picture of me, the true bread of life. So I want to give you some interesting correlations between the manna in the wilderness and Jesus as the bread of life. First and foremost, manna fell in the wilderness of sin when the people were in rebellion. Manna fell in the wilderness of sin when the people were in rebellion. Exodus chapter 16 verses 1 to 4 says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. S-I-N, sin. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now isn't it interesting that the Hebrew word translated sin translated into English as sin, is also in Hebrew the word for thorn. Thorn. You remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and God pronounced some judgments based upon on the results of their actions? What was one of the things He said was going to happen? Thorns. The ground was going to bring up thorns. Thorns were going to be produced. So Levitically, that the idea of thorns in a Levitical mindset became a symbol of of sin and of judgment. Now let's go a few thousand years later. Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. What was he wearing on his head? Crown of thorns. You think the Roman soldiers that made that crown and put it on his head knew what they were doing? No, I think they just wanted to enhance his suffering and pain. But let's think about it. 
That was a symbol of Jesus Christ who bore our sin to the cross and who was judged as sin on the cross. Well, Israel here in Exodus 16, they're in the wilderness of sin. And while they're there, they begin complaining against Moses and Aaron. And they're saying, you know, you brought us out here to starve us to death, man. We could have stayed in Egypt. There was plenty of food there. Why did you bring us out here to kill us with starvation? Well, they weren't questioning Moses and Aaron, were they? They were really questioning God. They were questioning the plan of God. God has brought us out here to starve us to death. So what was God's reaction to this? Did He judge them? He could have. Did He destroy them? No, you know what He did? He fed them manna in the wilderness. In His mercy, in His grace, He gave them grace in that He fed them while they were in the wilderness of sin, complaining against God, He fed them with manna from heaven, with bread from heaven. Jesus Christ said, I'm the true bread. Jesus Christ, just as Israel was in the wilderness of sin, Jesus Christ came to this world of sin. Just as Israel complained against God and were in rebellion, Jesus Christ, in Romans says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were complaining or rebelling against God in His mercy and grace, He rained down the bread of life. Just as He gave Israel, the the man in the wilderness, He gave Jesus to us. Manna is also the testimony of the glory of God. Not only did manna fall in the wilderness of sin while they rebelled, but it's the testimony of the glory of God. Exodus chapter 16, verses 7 and 10 says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Now, one interesting uh, point here is that this is the first time the phrase glory of the Lord is mentioned. It's very important when something is mentioned for the first time. It has some special significance, and then you can follow that thread throughout the Scripture. Well, Exodus 16 is the first time the glory of the Lord is mentioned. The glory of the Lord appeared to Israel in the cloud. The people looked to the wilderness where the manna was going to fall, and there in the cloud they saw the the awesome display of, I'm assuming, light and power, the brightness of God's essence right there in the desert. And in Exodus verse 12, God says, In the morning you shall be filled with bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Amen. He displayed His glory in the cloud, and then He said, I'm going to give you manna to prove to you that I am God. The manna was the testimony and the proof of God's glory and power. It was the testimony that His plan for Israel was not to destroy them in the wilderness, but it was a plan to take them to the promised land. And that was the confirmation of that. It was that manna that fell in the wilderness. Well, Jesus Christ, the true bread from heaven, says, I've come to do my Father's will. He is the testimony of the Father. John uh, chapter 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ. The glory of the Father. 
full of grace and truth. He's the image of the Father. He is the true bread and the testimony of the plan of God. Just as the manna was proof that God was going to carry out and fulfill His plan with Israel, Jesus Christ, the true bread from heaven, is proof that He's going to carry out His plan with you. He's going to fill you with that bread of life. Number three, manna came to them. It fell around the camp. Not only did it fall when they were in the wilderness of sin, not only was it the testimony of the glory of God, but it fell right around where they were staying. When Israel went out to collect the manna that fell from heaven, they didn't have very far to go because it was right around them. It came right to them. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, He came to do the Father's will. He came to us, didn't He? He comes to you right where you are this morning. You don't have very far to go. He's right there. You know, we we try in various ways to to get to God. We try to do better and, and do all the right rules and behave the right way and say the right things and practice the right religion. But the glory and the power of the gospel is that you can't get to Him. You can't spend enough money to buy a relationship with God. You can't do enough good works to earn a relationship with God. You can't practice enough religion to qualify for a relationship with God. You can't get to Him. But hallelujah. The manna fell from heaven to us. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, the bread of life, came to us. I can't get to Him, so He came to me. Aren't you glad of that this morning? Amen. Manna provided life and met Israel's daily need. Exodus 16, verse 22 says, Morning by morning they gathered it. When God gave manna to Israel, He instructed them to collect it each and every day and on the sixth day to collect enough to go to cover them for the Sabbath. He didn't want them collecting manna on the Sabbath day. He provided food for them every single day. Jesus said, I've come to do the Father's will by becoming the bread of life and by providing our greatest need is redemption. He is continually saving us each and every day. 1 Corinthians 15 says that this is the gospel by which you've been saved and by which you are being saved. Each and every day, He renews you. He sanctifies you. He draws you closer to Himself. He meets your need and gives you life each and every day. Amen. And number five, not only did the manna fall in the wilderness of sin when they rebelled, not only was it the glory of God, not only did it meet their need each and every day, not only did it fall right where they were staying, but the manna, God said you could have as much or as little of the manna as you wanted. Exodus 16, verses 16 to 18 says, This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, talking about the manna, each one of you as much as he can eat. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Think about that. As Israel went out to gather manna, God said, eat as much as you want. Jesus said, I've come to do my Father's will. I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
Do you know that you can be as close to Jesus Christ this morning as you want to be? Really, you can. And it's your choice. If you want to be a churchgoer that shows up on Sunday morning, spends an hour and a half in this building, goes home and never engages with Jesus the rest of the week, you can do that. If you want to live moment by moment, seven days a week in direct communion with Him, you can do that. You can live anywhere in between. You can have as much or as little of Jesus as you want. You can eat as much of this bread of life as you want. Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. Amen. So my question to you this morning that that really troubles me often is how can we, as followers of Jesus Christ, who claim the name of Jesus just want a little bit of the bread of life, how can we get bored with Him? How can we only make Jesus a part of our lives? I mean, He's glorious, isn't He? He is amazing. He is love. He's everything we desire. And He tastes good. And you can eat as much of that bread of life as you want. Jesus says, come to Me and I'll fill you up with bread. I will stuff you just as I stuffed those 15,000 people with that fish and bread dinner that day. I will stuff you full of the bread of life. And you'll be satisfied in your soul. You won't need anything else. Man, that's good. We often talk around here about quiet time. You know, you probably have heard Pastor Steve and others talking about quiet time to you're probably tired of hearing us talk about quiet time. Do you know when we talk about that idea, it's not, it's not some rule that we've created to try to force you to be a good Christian or to manipulate in some way. This idea of taking time out of your day Every day and spending a few minutes in the Word of God or prayer or just in quiet solitude with Him, spending time with Him, that's not the point. No, quiet time is a loving act of being with Jesus. It's spending time with Him, drinking the water of life, eating the bread that comes down from heaven. You know, just as Israel went out and collected that manna every day, You spending time with Jesus Christ, eating that bread of life every day is the same thing. They went out every day to get that bread to sustain their life, their physical life. Without that manna, they would have starved to death. Let me tell you this morning, without the bread of life, your soul is going to starve to death. You need to go get that bread of life every day. Jesus Christ came to do the Father's will. He said... I've come to do the Father's will, and the one aspect is He'd be the bread of life. And that picture of Jesus as the bread of life was painted on the canvas of Israel back when they were collecting manna for those 40 years. And there was lots of similarity between that, but there's also some differences between the manna and the bread of life. Those differences are the manna was for Israel. Jesus Christ, the bread of life, is for the whole world. That manna would fade away. At the end of the day, it was gone. Jesus Christ, He's forever. The manna would sustain your life, but guess what? Jesus Christ is the life giver. Life emanates from Him. How much more is the bread of life 
important to us than that man that was in the wilderness. Jesus said, I've come to do the Father's will, and that included being the bread of life. And then also in this passage, Jesus said, I've come to do the Father's will, and it's to keep and secure the gift given to me by the Father. John 6.37, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus says, all those that God draws to himself, he gives to me, and they'll be mine forever, and I won't cast them out. Jesus was probably a little bit discouraged in talking to this crowd because, you know, they had seen him do that miracle the day before and they came to him and said, you know, do some more uh, magic acts for us. Jesus loved them. He was going to die for them. He fed them, took care of them. He said, you guys don't believe in me. I bet he was a little bit discouraged with that at that moment. But then as if speaking to himself, he says, but you know what? God is going to purify a people. And they're going to believe in me and they will come to me. And the Father's going to give me a gift of people who believe in me. And it's about those who will, and it's those who will eat the bread of life and I will give them eternal life. All who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. And that word all is in the Greek tense is kind of a reference to all as one unit. It's not all as in a bunch of pieces. It's not like a puzzle on the table that hasn't been put together yet, and you know all the pieces are laying there, and you say, there's all the pieces. No, it's like the puzzle's already put together in one complete unit, one body, one gift. And he says, all, all who come to me, I will keep, I will keep safe, I will secure, and I won't cast them out. This group is going to come to me and I'm going to hang on to them. God's going to give them to me. Why? Because they've been chosen by the Father to be presented to Jesus Christ as His gift of love. And if you're a believer this morning, guess what? You're part of that gift. You're part of that body. Safe and secure in Jesus' arms. John 17, Jesus is praying the Lord's Prayer. You know, we think of uh, when He was teaching the disciples, we call that the Lord's Prayer. But that was really, He was teaching the disciples to pray. John 17, before his crucifixion, Jesus is praying a prayer. And seven times in that prayer, he prays for that body, that gift, that you, that God is going to give to him as a gift, as a love gift. He prays for you and he prays for me. He prays for that unit of believers that are going to come to him, presented to him by the Father. You are a gift to Jesus Christ this morning. Do you ever think of yourself that way? Do you ever get up in the morning and say, hey, I'm a gift to Jesus today? I mean, that's exciting. I mean, if you're a believer, you're a gift from the Father to the Son, just as you hopefully had some gifts yesterday that you unwrapped. Think about yourself as a gift, all wrapped up, tied up with the blood of Jesus. God the Father is presenting you to the Son to keep and to treasure. What a glorious thought. As a believer, I'm a gift from God the Father granted to Jesus Christ His Son. And I'll tell you what, that excites me. And you know why that excites me? Because I'm not worth it. Not by a long shot. I'm not worth it. 
I don't know why God ever chose me, why He ever drew me to Himself, but in His sovereignty, He, he, drew, he gave me the opportunity to know Him. And every, every believer in this world is a gift from God the Father to Jesus Christ the Son. Jesus said, I have come to do the Father's will, and His will is that I receive the gift He is giving me and keep it secure. No matter the circumstance in your life, no matter what trouble you're going through, no matter the problems, no matter how this world might be falling apart economically or politically or geopolitically or geologically or however, doesn't really matter. Because if you repented of your sins and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work of redemption, you're a connected part of that love gift that the Father has given to the Son, and He will treasure you, He will keep you safe, He will keep you secure until the day He raises you from the dead to live in His eternal presence with Him forever. Amen. Amen. The plan of God, the eternal purpose of God, the glorious power of God can never be frustrated, and it will never fail. So you're a part of that body of believers. And why? Can you rest assured and be secure in that? Because it's not about you. It's not for you and it's not your doing. You can't be skilled enough. You can't be pretty enough. You can't be rich enough. This is the gift that God is giving to Jesus Christ for the work He did on the cross. You remember Hebrews chapter 12 says that Jesus endured the cross despising the shame for the joy set before Him. And you know what that joy that was set before Him is? It's you. You are the joy that was set before Him. You're that gift that the God is giving to the Son as, as, a, as a gift for the work that He has done for coming to do the Father's will. He said, the God has given me, the Father has given me something to do and I've come to do it. And when I do it, then He's going to give me that gift of believers and I'm going to hold them and I'm not going to cast them out. And as part of that gift, you are as secure in that as the love is between Jesus and the Father. When Jesus stops loving the Father, that's when He'll throw you away. It ain't happening. No way, no circumstance. When Satan comes along trying to tell you you're worthless, you're no good, you sin too much, you can't trust God's love, you've got to do better, you've got to be better... Yada, yada, yada. Just remember, you're God's gift of love to Jesus Christ. And He says, I will in no wise cast out. You may not like me much. You may not think I'm that pretty. Or handsome, sorry. Guys are handsome, right? Do you know what? Jesus Christ loves me. He loves me for the Father's sake and for His glory. So what more do I need? What more do you need than Jesus Christ? Emmanuel, that bread from heaven that you can access every day. Well, Jesus said, I've come to do the Father's will to keep secure all those He has given me. And if you need more proof, there are some scriptures on your handout you can study for yourself uh, this week about how secure you are in Christ. Why did Jesus come to earth? Well, He came to earth to destroy the works of the devil. He came to earth to display the glory of God. He came to earth to save sinners. And today, He came to earth to do His Father's will. Those who ate the manna in the wilderness, they died. 
But Jesus says, I've come that you might have eternal life. I'm the true bread from heaven that will satisfy your soul's hunger. And not only is my Father's will for me to be the bread of life, but He's given me that gift of the body of believers that He's drawn to Himself, and His will is that I keep them safe and secure, and I will raise them up the last day. As I redeem and regenerate their souls, so will I redeem and regenerate their bodies, that they might live with me in my kingdom for all eternity. That's the Father's will, and that's what I came to do, and that's what I'm going to do. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, these words should just excite and thrill you. Because you have access to the bread of life to give you life. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, you can partake of this bread of life. You can know Him today by repenting of your sins. Repent and believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your rebellion. And that's the only way. Jesus offers you Himself the bread of life, and He will accept you when you come to Him. He'll never cast you out. And He'll give you eternal life, sealed and signified both by your satisfaction in your soul today and by resurrection in that last day. If you don't know Jesus this morning, let me encourage you before you leave to find somebody, maybe somebody right around you, and talk to them and ask them to help you come to that place of getting to know Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins and believing in His death, burial, and resurrection as the Scripture prescribes. Jesus came to do the Father's will. As I, as I close this morning, you know, when Jesus came to do the Father's will, He became the most influential figure in the history of the world. Our calendar is adjusted because of Jesus Christ, Right? Everything we know is really the result of Jesus Christ. He's the most influential figure in the world. And there's been a, a song going around in my head for the last couple of weeks. You ever have that happen? You get this like song stuck in your head and it just drives you crazy. You go to bed, you're, try, you're trying to sleep, and this thing just keeps playing in your head. Well, the only way that I can get those songs out of my head is to sing them. Now, I'm not going to sing to you this morning. You're off the hook. But I am going to infect your mind with the words from this song. So it's in my head. I'm going to give it to you. And it's uh, words from a song, a 1970s song. Some of you in this room may remember 1970s. This word, this song is, is called One Solitary Life. And it was adapted from a sermon by Dr. James Allen Francis given in 1926. And because this song has been on my mind, I'm going to put it into your mind. So I'm just going to read the words to you right now. It says, Born in an obscure village, he was the child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30 years old, and then for three years he traveled around the country, stopping long enough to talk and listen to people and help them where he could. He never wrote a book. He never recorded a record or even an MP3. He never went to college. He never ran for public office. He never had a family or owned a house. He never did anything that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. But when he was only 33 years old, the tide of public opinion turned against him and his friends all rejected him. And when he was arrested, very few wanted to have anything to do with him. After his trial, he was executed by the state along with some admitted thieves. 
And only because a generous friend offered him his cemetery plot was there a place to bury him. This all happened over 19 centuries ago, and yet today he is the leading figure of the human race, the ultimate example of love. Now, it is no exaggeration to say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever set sail, all the rulers that have ever ruled, and all the kings that have ever reigned on this earth, all put together, have not affected the life of man on this earth like this one solitary life. Amen. Jesus Christ, the true bread from heaven, offered to you as much as you can eat. Jesus Christ came to do the will of the Father, to accept that gift from the Father and keep it secure. And that's you. He came to earth to do the Father's will, and He perfectly accomplished the will the Father gave Him to do. And He's offered to you this morning as the bread of life. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank You this morning. I thank You that You came to do the Father's will. That when You came, You came as the bread of life, as that true bread that gives us life. Just as Israel collected that manna in the wilderness... So you give us the opportunity to come to you and eat and partake of your glorious mercy and grace and power. Lord, I just thank you that today you will accept us, you will take us in. Lord, you will not cast us out, but you will keep us secure. Because it's for your love for the Father. You came to accomplish the will that he gave you to do, and you accomplished that. And so we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.